There's a lot of clapping this morning. That's good. I feel like an it's awards night or something. It's so good. How many know it's Halloween? Is it today? Yes. Halloween today. Um, I love what Hayden said at the baptism. He said, while the world is celebrating death, we're in here at a water baptism celebrating life, the life of Jesus. And um, last week we were telling our kids a bit about Halloween. We said, look, it is in opposition to the good news of the gospel, but we don't run away from it. Um, it's just that we have a superior reality. And um, I picked up Tommy from kindy on Thursday and as he was leaving, the teachers were handing out Halloween cookies and he looked at me, he looked at the teacher and he was standing there and I thought, this would be good, I'm keen to see what he's going to do. And so he was the last one in the line and he came up and he was looking back at me, he was looking at the teacher and then he grabbed a pumpkin shaped cookie He ripped the Happy Halloween sticker off the back, gave that back to the teacher. He took the cookie. He came over to me and he said, it's it's okay, Dad. Pumpkins are good for you. How could I disagree? But how many know that we we do live in a superior reality? We, we have the power of Jesus, and I love what we've been singing. What we've been talking about this morning is that there is no other name than the name of Jesus. Um, every knee will bow and confess that he is Lord. And um, what an amazing hope we have. First of all, thanks for everyone that's been praying for us. Um, if you don't know, our youngest baby boy, Judah, he came into the world a little bit unexpected, three, three or four weeks early, um, two weeks ago, and... Rach says to say hello to everyone. She says thank you for all your text messages, phone calls, meals, everything else. Um, She was really wishing to be here. She's still in hospital with with the baby. So we're just believing he'll be out of hospital soon. He's out of ICU. uh, So we're just believing for increased growth and strength. So thank you all for your prayers. Um, Yeah. The Lord's teaching me patience. So... If you've got your Bibles this morning, if we can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. Actually, I'll start reading from verse 3. It says, When David and his men reached Ziglag, they found it destroyed by fire, and their wives, their sons, and their daughters taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. How many know that's a lot of tears? They wept till they had no strength left to weep. Verse 6, it says, David was greatly distressed because the men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. Amen? It says here, but David found strength in the Lord his God. Other versions say that David actually strengthened himself in the Lord. How many know that community is really important? It's not just really important, it's actually essential for us to grow in God. 
sometimes we try and do life in isolation, and if you're like me, you realize it doesn't work. Some of us have learned the hard way. And the things, the purposes that the Lord has for us usually and most likely come to pass in the context of community. I believe that sometimes the Lord actually locks things, areas of breakthrough. He actually stops them or locks them so that they can only be stepped into, so that they can only be found in the context of community. For years, myself and my wife were struggling in our marriage in isolation. And it wasn't until we had the realization that, wow, of course, that is the normal thing to happen. If you live in isolation, of course you're going to struggle. And until we came into this place of vulnerability and openness and, and we came and all of a sudden we were vulnerable, we were open, we allowed people to speak into our lives, all of a sudden there was a grace, not just to, just to survive, but to thrive. And the Lord has, has actually meant for all areas of our growth to actually happen in the context of community. But how many know that sometimes when you wake up in the morning, you're not going to have Sasha there at your bed singing you and, and, and singing worship songs for you to get out in the morning? How many know that Jared's not always going to be there when you're going to sleep singing, or not singing, I hope he's not singing, <laughs> saying a devotional thought as you close your eyes? How many know that even though community is so important, there is some times in our life where we have to journey through things and it's just us and God. And it's important that we realize how to actually, like David did, encourage ourselves in the Lord. Otherwise, we're literally just waiting for the next Sunday. And it's like we come to church and we have to be resuscitated every week just to get us back and then we're just down, 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 resuscitated again. And how many know we're, we're extremely ineffective when we're on life support? All our energy is about keeping us alive. How many know that that is a big part of it, being a Christian, but the bigger purpose is about fulfilling the purposes of God, is reaching our community, reaching our neighbour, impacting our workplace, impacting our schools, everywhere where we go, just displaying the nature and the beauty of Jesus. Growing up in Sunday school, and I'm, I'm sure you will all agree that we often hear the stories about David. How he was anointed, how he killed the Goliath. And growing up, I, I sort of had this in my head. It's like he got anointed as a kid, and then next day, he killed Goliath. And then on Tuesday, he became really good friends with the king's son. And then on Wednesday, he became even better friends with the king's daughter. And some of you read your Bibles, you got that. Um, and then it's like... Oh, and then later on in the week, he had a bad day, which is the passage we just read. But he quickly bounced back. By the end of the week, he was on the throne. And then it was like living happily ever after. And just like in his spare time, just as a hobby, just like chasing people around, killing people, just doing all these amazing things for God. But how many know that since David was anointed as king, it was 15 years since he actually was on the throne? Is that right? 
15. You've got to watch Google these days because there's too many scholars and too many opposing things, but I'm, I'm pretty sure it's, it was 14 or 15 years. 15 years from the paddock to the palace. 15 years from the paddock. I keep thinking to say paddock to the plate, but paddock to the palace was 15 years that David spent before he was actually crowned king. This is incredible because what it means is that it was 15 years before he got to see the promise fulfilled on his life. Now we have to remember that David, in those 15 years, David did some amazing things. But he wasn't sitting in a green room. He wasn't sitting on a, a luxury yacht just waiting for Saul to die. Let me tell you a quick brief history of his life. As we know, when he was a young boy, he was looking after his father's sheep. Shepherds weren't a really well-recognized profession. All these brothers were probably soldiers in the Israelite army. And here he was looking after the father's sheep. When the prophet Samuel came to anoint a king, unfortunately, David wasn't even one of the nominations. He didn't even make the cut originally. Until the prophet said, do you have any more sons? And they said, yeah, well, we do have one son. And so even at that early age when he was anointed by God as king, he was rejected by his father. We know then that he killed Goliath. And, but shortly after that, some women started singing songs. And they started singing, you know, Saul's killed thousands, but David has killed 10,000. And all of a sudden, this bitterness, this anger, this jealousy rose up in Saul to the point where he was trying to kill David. And after a while of this, David thought better of this and he thought, if I hang around here, I'm going to get killed. So he had to leave. So not only was he rejected by his father, he was rejected by his king. David leaves. He leaves Jerusalem. Then after hiding for a while, he actually rescues a, a, a Jewish village. Uh, sorry, a Jewish village named Kila. He rescued them when the Philistines were attacking them. But shortly after he rescues them, he gets wind that they're actually going to get him and hand him over to Saul. And so there's another rejection. Meanwhile, this is this promise of God that he's going to become king. And there is some amazing things that happen in his life, but we've got to understand that it's like the promise is as far away from him in this moment as possible. He's now rejected by his Jewish brothers. He heads off into the wilderness. And in 1 Samuel 22 verse 2, it says, He, found, he finally found some followers. Relief at last. Do you know what the Bible says they were? Everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, and everyone who was discontented. What a bunch of people to find. And for the next 10 years, David poured his life into these men. Later in scripture, they're called David's mighty men. He poured his life in. Every day he did life with them. 
And then when, when, when things seemed to be better, David finally returned. He moved back into the Philistine country and the king gave him a city called Ziglag. And the Bible tells us that at night, David and his men would go out and they would do raids on the neighboring enemies. They were so successful at fighting and destroying enemies that even the Phil- some of the Philistines contemplated that David and his mighty men should join them and attack Israel. But of course, the, the officers of the Philistines said, no, nah, well, if that happens, then he might turn on us in battle. And so we have, a, we have this moment in history in David's life where now he's actually rejected by his enemies. You know you're having a bad day when your enemies reject you. He's been given a promise. You're going to become king. His father rejects him. His king rejects him. His Jewish people reject him. And now his enemies are rejecting him. How many know that the promise seems so far away from from any reality at this point? So as they were heading back to Ziglag, while they were gone, the Amalekites come and attacked their town, the city. And the Bible says they took all the women, children, and possessions. And this is the context of this passage that I just read, that we're reading this morning, is this is when David and his men arrive. Now David has, has received rejection up to this point. But this rejection was huge. Because for 10 years, he had just poured his life into these men. 10 years, he had just taken a group of men who were rejected by society, who now are rejecting him. All these men owe David their life. He's bled for them. He's poured into their lives. He's sacrificed. And all of a sudden, the Bible tells us that they are, in their moment of grief, they reject him and they say, let's kill him. How many know the promise seems so far away? And then this verse says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. Incredible. It's interesting that as we read this story of David, it's like once the promise was over his life, everything was there to destroy it. It was like it was on full on attack to destroy the promise, the purposes of God over his life. I would like to propose this morning, and I believe this wholeheartedly, that we are sitting in a room of world changers. I know that's a comment that we can often say flippantly, and it's like, yeah, yeah, we're going to be world changers. Yeah, yeah, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. We're going to be planet shakers and all this stuff. But I honestly believe as a deep conviction 
that as you look around this room right now, you are seeing people in here that will not only transform our community, but they'll have impact internationally around the world. Have a good look around you. I believe there's, there's, there's authors here that are yet to write books that will unlock areas of breakthrough in people's life. I believe that there's artists here that are yet to write songs that are extremely anointed by God that will see deliverance and freedom. I believe that there's people here that have this, this, just this, this passion to see people healed that are yet to lay hands on people and see them recover. I believe there's people here that the Lord has given them grace for making money in business and they're yet to inspire a generation in favour and kingdom purposes. The issue is not with the promise. It's what happens in the 15 years. It's what happens between the paddock and the palace. And often so many times we forget what the Lord has said over our life that all we think is, that word's not true. And we start questioning the promise because we're going through a process. I love hearing stories about great men and women of God that have got large ministries, they've got amazing things that God has done through their lives. But one of the questions, if I have the opportunity to, to talk with them one-on-one -on -one or, 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 or engage with them is, I love to ask them and talk to them about how it began. And the people that I've spoken to that have significant ministries that I've spoken to about how things began, is that how many know it's usually small beginnings? And a certain pastor who, who, who runs a mega church, he said to me, I have to remind myself every day about the prophetic words over my life. I was like, he said, every day I get out and read the prophetic words over my life. From scripture, prophetic words people have given me, the voice of God, whatever form it comes in, I read them over every day because I can't afford any thought to come in my mind that's contrary to the word of God over my life, the promise of God over my life. I was sitting there thinking, this is a man of 60 years of age who has history with God, who has generations with God, and if he's doing that, I think I still need to start reviewing the promises of God over my life. I would encourage you this morning, what, is, what, what are the promises over your life? Maybe you've got to go back some weeks. Maybe you've got to go back some months or some years and dig them up. Maybe you're like, Ben, I don't have a specific prophetic word that someone's given to me. What is it that's burning in your heart? When you read the scripture, what comes alive to you? What has the Lord put on your life where you say, this is why I'm alive. This is why I'm born. Maybe it's injustice. Maybe it's, it's, it's to minister to kids. Maybe it's healthy families. Maybe it's to see kingdom finances, whatever it is. But what is the thing that the Lord has put on your life, that dream, that, that promise that he's put on your life? Why I'm so confident that we're sitting in a room full of people that are literally going to have 
impact throughout the world is because you're alive right now. I have such a conviction that the Lord is about to do something we've never seen in human history. And I just feel that the Lord would say, can you perceive it? Can you perceive it? As darkness comes in, the light of God shines even brighter. I believe that we're about to stand in this next season and we're going to see unprecedented times in something the Lord is about to do that we've never seen in human history. So that means there's a promise on your life. That means we're all in this war, this battle together. How many know? How many feel like they're not equipped for war? That's me, by the way. But, but I know I'm built. I'm, I know I'm alive for it. That's as far as I've got. So. And when I read about David, I just. It's that one time where you feel like you just want to go out and like wrestle a bear or a lion and get mongrel. That might be something else in my body, I'm not sure. <laughs> but it's usual for the promise of God to be under attack. Maybe right now you're like, hey, God has called me to this and I feel the furthest away from it right now. That doesn't mean that there's anything wrong with the promise. That just means that there's a process. And he's looking, and, and, and as, as, as believers in Jesus, as we learn from the story of David, it's about us coming to that place where we encourage ourselves in the Lord. In verse 6 there where it says David encouraged himself in the Lord, what do you think he was doing? I somehow, have a, I somehow have an inclination that he wasn't doing it in front of all the blokes that were about to stone him. I have an inclination that somehow he got alone. Somehow he got alone with him and God. Maybe that was imposed upon him, but the point is he was probably alone with God. And I don't believe he, he tried a brand new thing that day. I don't think he, he, he stood there or, or sat there and thought, hey, I remember reading this in a book. This is what you do when you're having a really bad day. I don't think this was the case. I think he started to, like Gwen said, he started to worship. He started to praise God. And I'm sure at the beginning it was probably a bit ugly, which is we see from the Psalms. But I, guess, but, but I bet it didn't take too long until all of a sudden this praise started to well up that actually redirected him back into his purpose. I believe that David went back to a place that he had been very familiar with. He went back to a place where he had been practicing this out when no one was watching when he was looking after the sheep. I believe that David went back to a place with every rejection in his life up to that point. He had gone to the same well. He had gone to the same fountain and found strength in the Lord through praise.
about a month or two ago, uh, myself and Rachel we were reading through our normal devotions and she came to me one day and said, oh, this verse in, in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, it keeps just standing out to me. And I said, all right, and, and you'll probably be familiar with it. It says, um, rejoice always, pray continually with everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. And then about a week later, someone gave us a prophetic word, 1 Thessalonians 5.17. I was like, wow, this is amazing. I think the Lord's saying something. And then we're at the conference and this guy gets up and speaks. And I don't know how much was in his notes, but he definitely paused and just spoke into 1 Thessalonians 5.17. I was like, this is amazing. And so a few days before we had the unexpected arrival of our son, we were sitting there just thinking, oh, this is, this is amazing how the Lord is just giving us this verse for this season. And all of a sudden, Friday, two weeks ago, came and I went to get a haircut and came back with a baby. And, and the, days that, the days that followed that were pretty intense. And the little fellow was in ICU in Brisbane and you feel helpless because they're just a little baby, you know. You sort of feel you're the one that was strapped to the machines and everything, but it's tough when you've got a little baby who's totally helpless and you're reliant on the medical staff, which do an amazing job. By the way, all our doctors and nurses need a pay rise, a holiday, um, <laughs> and more staff. <laughs> but you feel helpless there. And all of a sudden, you know, as a dad, as a parent, there's not much I can do except pray. And uh, I, I did everything I could. I threw every religious toy at my son. Every prayer, every prophecy, declared everything I could. And we, we, we saw him stabilize, we saw him progress. But it's like a roller coaster ride. But every time we came back to 1 Thessalonians 5.17... And every time myself and Rach, well, we'd step out and we'd have a think, we'd have a pray, we'd just be like, hey, we've got to give thanks. We're giving thanks before we know the end of the story. When we found out that, on, yeah, Sunday two weeks ago, Sunday afternoon, we found out that he wasn't doing well, he was going to have to be transferred to ICU. And I, told, I was still at home and I was going to go down and pick Rach up and I told the kids, we need to pray for our brother, your brother. And, um, you know, they're five and seven, so they know everything. So, um, so I said, look, he's not doing too well. We just need to pray for him. And um, that was fine. Mia was fine with that, but Tommy wasn't fine with that. He said, is he going to die? And I straight away said, no, no, he's not going to die. So that was the easy answer. Second question he asks is, what if he does die? And that was a bit harder to answer because I don't believe he is going to die, but Tommy's not asking that. He's asking, what if he does die? And so I opened the Bible to 1 Thessalonians 5.17. I said, this is what the Lord has told us, that in any, every circumstance we're to give thanks. And so our ritual at home is to turn on really loud music, 
worship music most of the time. And we jump around and we dance. And so I said to the kids, well, this is what we're going to do now. So we did. We worshiped God. And they said, let's jump even higher. And I said, absolutely, let's jump even higher. So they did their best jumps. But how faithful is God to give us such a verse of promise? How faithful is he that we just come back to this every time? And even right now, we're just giving thanks. Every time, maybe we get news that isn't so good, we do our best and in the grace of God to recount the blessings of God over our life. It's interesting that this verse isn't a suggestion. And for some of us who struggle in in times of fear, anxiety, to actually let our feelings reflect who God has actually called us to be, this can be a little bit confronting because we wish that it would have been a suggestion, not a command. And maybe you're dealing with things that are a whole lot worse than, than I've walked through. And you're saying, well, Ben, you don't understand what I'm in. If you were in my position, you wouldn't be able to praise. You wouldn't be able to rejoice. But this is actually a command of God. It says, rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. God wouldn't command us to do something that he hasn't made available for us to do in our new nature. In my flesh, the last thing I want to do is glorify God in a negative situation. The last thing I want to do is rejoice. The last thing I want to do is is be thankful in my flesh. But as a a born-again believer in the new creation, he's actually made it available. He's made provision for me to step into another place where I can actually rejoice in adversary. Praise does this amazing thing where it actually cancels the agreement with the enemy. How many know that the things we face, if you're like me, oftentimes there's a reality of sickness, of of grief, or or, or reconciliation, or relationship problem, or financial problem, but how many know that they are real issues, but the enemy comes and he starts sowing seeds of fear, Sowing seeds of, oh, what about if this happens? What about if that happens? Oh, that person said that to you. Maybe they meant that in a different way. All of a sudden, the enemy, because he's called the father of lies, he wants to come in and start to discredit the promise over your life. How many people believe that the promise over their life is to have an amazing ministry where heaps of people get healed and you're the one who's sick? That's because the promise is under attack. That's because the promise of God on your life is under attack. And what it means is that we actually, praise, praise actually gets to a point where it cancels, it, 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 it sucks the oxygen out of the lies of the enemy. 
my greatest encouragement for you in this season, whatever situation you're in, sometimes we can feel like David was when he arrived at Ziklag with his men, where it's just like, we're, we're physically, emotionally exhausted. We've got no strength left even to cry. Maybe if you feel like that, I would suggest just to put on worship music. And just let the clouds of, of gloom and doom and those, those dark anxieties, stress, it'll just start to lift. And just as you start to worship God in that place, all of a sudden, the fear, it, it, it's like worship, it's like praise just sucks the oxygen out of fear. It doesn't mean we still are afraid. It's like Thomas, my five-year-old, he, a little while ago, he came to me and he said, Daddy, I don't want to go to the toilet, I'm afraid. I said, well, if we keep putting up with this, it's going to be pretty embarrassing in 20 years' time. I said, just go to the toilet afraid then. He just looks at me. He goes, I'm still afraid. I said, that's fine, you can be afraid. Just go to the toilet afraid. How many know that in a few days' time, the last thing on his mind was a scary toilet with monsters that come up out of it? We can be full of fear. We can be afraid. But that's the place where we allow praise to start welling up out of our lips, out of our hearts. Don't wait until the point where all the fear or the anxiety, don't wait till it's gone because it'll be too late. We see here that David, while he was fearful, it says he was distressed, he strengthened himself in the Lord. He grabbed that moment and said, this is the moment I was born for. This is the moment where I'm going to give him my highest praise. And he knew that's where he was to go to, to get strength, to lead a nation where they were going to go. There's many things that we can see in the life of David of how he strengthened himself in the Lord. But I believe praise right now, in this season, it's not only for, our, for my life, but I believe for the church to step into a place of praise. Maybe you feel like the Lord has put such a calling on your life and every time you take one step forward, it's like the enemy's pushing you back two steps. Maybe you feel like there's discouragement. Maybe you feel like you're like David when you've, when you've said yes and you've stepped out, let's say, in a ministry or a leadership position. All of a sudden, there's things that are coming against you and, you, and, and, and it's discouraging. I would say strengthen yourself in the Lord. Let praise in the midst of frustration in the midst of depression, in the midst of fear, start to just well up in your, in your life. We know in this story that out of this place of David, out of this place of encouraging himself in the Lord, he came back. And what did he do? He redirected the men's minds to their purpose. They went out and they retrieved everything that was stolen from them and more. This is our key hope point for navigating this next season. 
is that we have to make a resolute decision that whatever comes, whatever it looks like, I'm going to rejoice always. Because there's so many other things that will come and crowd our mind, our focus, our thoughts. And praise actually clears the airways. Praise actually calms and destroys all that stuff. And that's who he's called us to be. Why don't we pray this morning? Even now as we finish up, if, if you feel like you're, you're exhausted, you're walking through something in your life, an experience, a situation where is out of your control, maybe you feel like there's fear, there's anxiety, there's stress, I just want you to put your hands out in a, in a sign of surrender just to him. Just put your hands out in front. Lord, we thank you this morning that you're more interested in our promise than we are. I just pray for every person in this room this morning. I just pray that you'd bring back these promises that you've spoken over them. That we'll bring them back to mind. I just pray for a grace right now to walk through from the paddock to the palace. That Lord, rejection, disappointment, fear would not stop us from stepping into the destiny on our lives. We just thank you for grace over every person. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that you have a, a hope and a future for all of us. We give you praise. Amen.